0: So, um, I think what I, I wanted to uh, focus on tonight in terms of offering some thoughts on the dharma um, is to go back to some very fundamental principles of meditation practice and um, cultivating those principles and those uh, practices in the midst of what feels like uh, an increasingly intensifying world dynamic that we're in which impacts us all and, and definitely impacts us energetically I think we know um, that we're in a, a very deep crisis um, globally with a um, uh, on on many levels, uh, in particular with the warming biosphere and the implications of that is probably the the overarching um, challenge for us. As as I read somewhere, someone had said, someone wise, I can't remember who, um, that this is almost like our final test (laughs) as humanity of where, how we're going to respond, where we're going to take this. And for that response, there needs to be a moving beyond the, our boundaries and our nationalisms and our um, protected spaces so that we can work collectively and globally where, in fact, the opposite is happening politically, where we see ourselves moving into a, a period um, across, certainly across this country and many countries um, see it happening in Europe in my home country of Britain of this um, inflaming of division um, for political ends and it's very ugly and it's very oppressive and it's very, a very old story so, um, but it's surprisingly and painfully galvanising for the lowest common denominator of the human mind that um, projects own unresolved um, feelings of fear and hate outwards onto to um, minority groups and more vulnerable peoples. And, and you know, it's, it's an old story, and um, it's, it's awful to see it being enacted again. So th- these sorts of influences that are happening at great intensity and great rapidity um, are very impactful uh, for the psyche, for the psychology, for us emotionally, and for the, the body itself. Um, we seem to forget that we also have an animal earth body that actually even if we're very disassociated and abstracted from our embodied experience this body itself is, is actually belongs to the earth and therefore it's also vibrationally sensitive so it also is impacted um, quite profoundly not only in terms of what's going on around us and what in, impinges on us this sensitive system, I as mean, we're talking about defending ourselves, one of our biggest uh, challenges is to de—is to um, deconstruct the desensitization processes that we've all been in, where we we don't allow ourselves to be sensitive, particularly in, in our feeling nature, so we can really experience and feel what's happening in the web of life. You know, this is a, another old story. This abstraction. Of ourselves as human beings, from being feeling, sensitive beings in relationship to each other, in relationship to what's happening in the in the in an ensouled world. Instead, we find ourselves being moved and shaped into this hyper individua- individuation and this sort of defended kind of way of being um, in, re- in relationship. So to actually um, move move beyond that um, and to um, deconstruct those tendencies of separation, desensitization so that we can, um, you know, and to actually be... so we can be fully embodied and therefore fully responsive as much as we can in terms of how we engage what's happening. And, And there is an impetus and a necessity for us to engage what's happening. I don't think we can just be bystanders at this point in our evolutionary journey it does demand a response um, but if um, you know for that to to come about um, it, it does mean sometimes that you know if we desensitize and allow ourselves rather than trying to avoid everything and put our head in the sand like an ostrich it, it almost demands the opposite that we actually become and allow ourselves to feel more and become more, almost vulnerable, but not vulnerable in a in a um, uncareful way, but receptive um, and open and awake within what's what's happening, and particularly the depths of suffering um, that are that are emerging and being lived out um, collectively. And my um, primary teacher, Ajahn Chah. Would say that enlightenment isn't so much about trying to, um, you know. He, he would say, like, well, you know, stop trying to be a Buddha or Bodhisattva. If you've got to be something, be an earthworm because at least they're useful. <laughs> you know, they, they irrigate and they aerate the ground. So mm-hmm. they go down through the mud. Um, so he 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 was very careful to try and have people, his disciples, not just. Uh, prematurely transcend the difficulties of the world and go into some meditative space aloof and away, but to really actually engage and be embodied and be connected and to meet the journey of suffering and so that one can actually go through that and through that process mature very profoundly in our capacity for wisdom <laughs> and compassion, because really um, it is the journey of um, of the sort of crucible of our lives that have the potential to emerge for, to um, generate these very core qualities of the heart of wisdom and, and compassion it's like a, a diamond if you're going to produce a diamond it's produced under enormous pressure and so the diamond like the diamond heart the diamond mind and di- the enlightened Nature sometimes, the metaphor for that is like a diamond, a a diamond that can't be crushed, that can't be shattered, but can actually cut through um, and reflect, have many different clear sides to reflect reality. It's just a metaphor, but the diamond comes from this enormous process of pressure in the same way that this pressure is upon us and it feels very excruciating sometimes. Um, and, it, and that excruciation can be a very embodied experience. And I've certainly noticed it myself. I've noticed an increase of anxiety and um, in the body, um, panicky feelings, um, overwhelm, despair, those kinds of emotional feelings. And you know, I'm sure quite some of that's to do with my own psychodynamic processes. I, and, and um, I'm not, I'm dismissing that in any way. But I'm also aware that it, that you know being s- that you know as sensitive beings, we're also responsive to ener- the energetic field that we're living and breathing within, and how that also impacts. So that that's a rather long slightly long-winded way of contexting the practice that I would really like to highlight that I, I think is familiar for all of us but we forget to often do it or use it as a resource um, to help bring strength and capacity and ability to uh, withstand whatever impingement comes to us so that we have the capacity to respond um, and respond from from clarity and Um, engagement that is actually sensitive and present to what's happening and not from a defended place or a place when we get activated in our own patterns of of fear and aggression, which can also happen to an irritation um, when we are on that edge of overwhelm. So the central practice that um, I want to explore is around the middle part of the path, you know, this path of awakening, Buddha talked about that there is the potential of awakening for all beings, and that that awakening isn't so much an ideal that we we fantasize about or a doctrine that we believe in, but it's an actual um, outcome of the process of, of a practice. It can also happen, um, awakenings can also happen in many different ways, but generally speaking, to quicken and mature and stabilise awakening is dependent on a way of practice, a way of honing our practice and that is really talked about and um, in captured within the the path uh, activity. There's a line in the suttas where it talks about the um, Maga hata kilesawa which means, and this is a line that I often refer to because it's very helpful, maga means path, hata means to break up, kilesa means obstruction, or that which is dense, obstructive, hindrances, Um, the greed, hatred and delusion of us individually and collectively, these forces that overwhelm and undermine, maga, the path activity, breaks up those forces. Uh, in and of itself. And then the fruit of that path, pata, pata is the fruit of that path, upati means to arise. The fruits of that path activity arise, dhammakan, which means according to the law of the dharma, according to nature, according to a deeper flow, a deeper current of reality, not according usually to our agenda that we have about what we think should be happening. So to apply the path um, is really the task of, of the meditator. It's what we're doing, we're applying these moments of path activity and to trust that they, in and of itself, they start to operate in our life and generate this sort of fulcrum around which the awakening process starts to quicken and operate as we become more, more present, more aware, more reflective, more investigating, more investigating what what's actually happening, more able to see our own conditioning, our own limitations, our own patterning, and then therefore see it operating in the world, seeing both those enlightened factors and the and the um, hindrances. So the path is described in many ways, but you know sometimes sila samadhi panya, Ethics is the ground, samadhi, is meditation, panya, wisdom. It's a very classical way of describing a large area of practices. So this middle part, the samadhi, is the piece that uh, I just wanted to highlight a little bit tonight. Because this is what the Buddha taught as, as really the ground and the most... Um, not the most, because many practices are very powerful. But upon which the Punya wisdom starts to flower, and then wisdom in action is, of course, uh, compassion. So this um, this samadi, and if you actually break down the word in in Pali um, and look at what what it really means, it's usually translated as concentration it's the English translation which kind of doesn't it gives it a a feeling for what it is but it also tends to set people off in a very willful occupation of i just got to sort of stop my thinking just sort of shove everything down and concentrate and focus and if you've done that which many of us have you know it's a very fragile way of cultivating this part of the path because inevitably the will and the energy to keep doing that tends to not be that enduring. And then we can find ourselves feeling very quickly a sense of failure or going into like a war zone, struggling with our minds, struggling with our thoughts. So to just unpackage it a little bit and starting with the word itself, sang, S-A-M, means together. D, which is connected with the word darani, which means mantra, but it actually means to hold. And the R, the long A in the middle, Samadhi, means like uh, it has a movement. So it has this sort of like going towards. So it has this sense of um, moving towards or holding uh, a holding togetherness, a holding of togetherness, moving towards a togetherness, or sort of a bringing back which has been sort of, um, disparate and has been scattered. This is a very nice way of talking about meditation. And that moving towards get togetherness, it's not like we have to go and find all the pieces of ourselves and try and put them together. But ironically, it's by becoming very still, not just trying to scan everything um, and, and, and put ourselves together, but becoming inwardly uh, very present and focused around a very simple activity, they're being present with, say, one breath, present with sensation. The activity of just being present in a very, very simple way, then that gathering starts to happen. Very naturally, all the pieces start to come back. The body, what's felt, um, parts of your psyche, parts of the unconscious, parts of what's been relegated and... Um, disowned from the psyche. Um, little by little, there's this sort of sense of gathering. And this gatheredness is a very alchemical, energetic process. It's not just a mental activity. The samadhi, as it was taught, particularly in the school that I trained in, was a very embodied gather, a gathering process. So Ajahn Lee, from one of the forest masters of Thailand, would talk about, uh, who was known as the King of Samadhi, um, and was very, very um, adept in deep states of concentration and focus. Um, he, would, he would always talk about keeping the body, keeping aware of the body and not just going off and dis- into a disembodied state. And this, this really tallies very much with how the Buddha spoke of the first foundation, as a foundation of mindfulness is keep coming back to our embodied experience. And that's often the hardest part for us because we live in a very abstracted mental world and particularly with our technologies um, where more and more we're pulled into a sort of ethereal realm or a mental realm, an online realm, which is very disembodied often. We're not very aware. So when we come to meditate, often what we're first faced with is is the experience of how uncomfortable it can be or how impatient we are when we come to the slow rhythm of the body. So this is why often this, this factor of cultivation of samadhi is um, encouraged alongside the... Um, quality of patience. It takes a lot of patience. Not the sort of patience of like, okay, when am I going to get there? Mm -hmm. But that patience of being willing to start again, again and again and again. It's a very repetitive process. And and it's helpful to think of it as not getting somewhere, as returning back. If you like, to return back to source rather than getting somewhere that you don't feel you've got to yet. Um, and I know there is a whole sort of stages of depths and how it's talked about, con- concentration. But when we come from that place of, of trying to, to project where we need to get to, we are actually almost missing and undermining the possibility of really gathering that sense of samadhi and togetherness. Because it, it's based on samadhi is supported by various factors. And it can be very boring to go through all the f- different factors, but two of the factors, we talk about jhana, uh, qualities of the jhana factors, two of them are connected with, one of them is called uh, sukkha, one one's is called piti. These are both connected with ease and relaxation, that softening, that sense of arriving... That sense of like letting go of your agendas, so this sense of easefulness. So if we already start trying to get concentrated from a, a very sort of willful, um, it's not that will can't be applied; it can be very useful. But if that's our only tool, you know, just to keep pushing and striving, then often we'll miss out on that sense of ease. And then the samādhi won't be full and embodied and it won't be that transportable. It will be very dependent on me holding something together and then when the conditions aren't there for me to hold that focus, then then we feel that we've lost that togetherness. And that's often what people feel when they they leave retreats. You know, There's a lot of samādhi that isn't very conscious on a retreat because you're sitting in a group... And that group consciousness helps hold and support this quality of silence and togetherness. So even tonight, there's a little bit of a sense of gatherness and samadhi in the room from our collective practice. But then we go off individually, and it feels like it dissipates very quickly. Um, and so when people f- leave retreat, and they feel like they've sort of lost something. That's what they're really talking about. They've lost that sense of samadhi, that sense of... Um, returning where in the world of samadhi then it's a very especially as it deepens it's a, it's a different experience in that the sense of time shifts the sense of um, you know it's like you're not on the surface of the mind in the sense we experience so much which is more a reactive place and it's more a mental place again and it's more a strategizing place and getting to place, the place where we mostly live. In the Somali, as we drop into the slower rhythm of the body, and it becomes more embodied then, and internal, then there's, there's a different sense. Maybe it feels a bit more timeless. Maybe it feels a bit slower. Even though you, you might be moving fast, and things are moving fast, there's a sense of, of not dissipating so much. There's a sense of more groundedness there's a, a sense of being more receptive to the information that's coming through our system. The system of the body is like a conduit for information not just what we think but what we feel and what we sense um, so there's a, a lot more acute receptivity to what is sensed from embodied experience and what is felt. Things clarify more quickly. There's less muddiness, less confusion, less patterning from getting activated in our old wounds. Um, And there's also the ability to return if the mind goes off into a patterning, a negative patterning, and down that road a vortex of suffering, there's an ability to return and move out of that more quickly. There's more lucidity. The mind, the thinking, is less coarse. It's less clunky, it's less conditioned by those old narratives. So there's more intuitive, creative. The thinking is more um, in service of the intuition, actually. So all of this is some of the fruits of samadhi, and besides it being restful, the place was to be able to unhook from the concerns and the overdrive that we're usually in, to be able to, as Ajahn Chah said, you need to learn to be able to have a mind that rests on nothing whatsoever. And certainly not rest keeps going to anxiety, keeps going to what's wrong because certainly we can go there a lot and there's a lot that's wrong and always has been wrong you know there's a lot to worry about and it's, and it's not to say we shouldn't be responsive or concerned or considering or contemplating cogitating but there's also a way that we get very habitual about keep going to the pain <laughs> um, but, you know, as, as uh, Ajahn Chao would say, a mind that has samadhi, a mind that's gathered, you turn that mind to the problem, and it's a very different outcome than the mind that's in its dispersed, patterned, reactive state. Turn a mind of samadhi to what is. And the Buddha said, you see clearly. You, know, you see how things are, you, see, you perceive reality even. You perceive beyond the conditioned mind. So it's, the fruits are considerable and it is the ground actually in many ways for the deepening of wisdom and insight uh, which is the faculty that's needed for liberation liberation from suffering the suffering that we generate that the mind generates from ignorance um, so this is a very critical factor of the path um, and it, it can be cultivated very simply because it's not at the end of the day it doesn't have to be a big project like the path factors they can really can really feel like a big project when you look at the enlightenment project it really can feel very overwhelming a really huge project but at the end of the day you can only really uh, practice in now in the present moment that's kind of all there is continuations <laughs> Now. So rather than thinking too much about in the future, we come back now and train attention. So the training of samadhi is built on moments of being present, moments of being here. So again, we come back to that first foundation of training attention to come back again and again. To what's actually here, but what we can—what's here—is what is felt within the body, what is experienced as the rhythm of the breath, what is sensed as a deeper foundation from just the mental sphere. As we know, if we try and hold attention to the mental sphere, it's very fickle; um, it's very quick. And as you get older, as I am it certainly reveals itself as not a very secure hangout place. You keep forgetting what you're supposed to be thinking about. So, you know, to come into the body um, as a a way of slowing down, as a habit to keep returning, and one one very helpful way of doing that, which is a more yin, receptive way, rather than overly activating the willful yang, which, which is helpful sometimes, but that yin is just to ask the question, what's happening now? What's present now for me? You know, and Because so often, we're unconsciously battling against what's actually happening for us, even in the very non-eventful moments. We're sort of defending against the moment. So samadhi is actually a movement against that. It's the movement of that softening. That's why I was recommending in the meditation guidance, that feeling of just softening, even a little bit softening the shoulders, softening the belly. Like I was saying, I've been exploring, noticing how I walk like this. And then when I soften the shoulders, there's a whole energetic realignment through the body, a whole opening in the belly. So how is it now? And you say, oh, you know, and that can lead you into that sense of softening the body, and then the body then becomes your being becomes a home. Your heart can begin to become a home, which is the home we really need to find. So if you notice that the mind is wandering to try and find a home. And The home that we that we try to find are, are always are mixed with this subtle sense of dukkha, a little bit of suffering of anxiety of in, incompletion some are, some homes are very very nice <laughs> <laughs> and we certainly spend a lot of money trying to create nice homes, but they're not the ultimate home and they will inevitably um, disappoint or or fade away from us, even if they don't disappoint. That's the nature of time. You know, it's unrelenting. You know, I remember my Irish granny, she'd always say, I mean, I guess she must have been my first Dharma teacher, she'd just say, time marches on, time marches on. It was kind of like a, her daily mantra. Mm-hmm. And, and when I was young, of course, I was like, oh, that's her problem, you know, because you're old. <laughs> 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 so, uh, I got it, Granny. <laughs> you know, it's a very ephemeral thing. As you know, so I was saying tonight, I couldn't believe, when I saw 18 years since I first started uh, coming, maybe longer even to San Francisco Insight, and the body remembers, you know. It's interesting. I still miss people. There used to be people who used to sit here, and I think, where have they gone? <laughs> 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 so that uh, to uh, to be able to um, <coughs> cultivate, <coughs> you know, to bring to bring this uh, this mind that's wandering. Um, to put it a little bit out of his misery. (laughs) And to to bring it, and it doesn't really want to go there, you know, it's not very exciting. Your mind really likes exciting stuff, you know, or it likes our wounds, you know, it likes to hang out with all the troubles. But to try and train the mind to come to the heart, you know, to come to the heart, feel there, to come to the belly, to come to the breath, to come to the body and just to hang there, you know, and to receive the awareness, receiving this sort of marriage of mind-body, bringing them together. And this is what, when the Buddha talked about bliss, the piti of meditation is really what he's talking about, this healing aspect of samadhi, is a part of the samadhi process that's profoundly healing for the body, for the mind, for the feeling senses. But the healing comes through feeling what does, is, doesn't feel that healed. It often feels like it's quite hurt. So when we come to the heart, when we come to the body, it can feel quite painful emotionally. And that's actually okay because, you know, um, what's actually this conscious awareness, what's receiving what is experienced is conscious awareness. This is the deeper mind, the depth of the mind, conscious awareness, which isn't hurting, which is very present, which has access to deep intelligence, which is reflective, receptive. So that conscious intelligence, that mindful presence can receive what is hurting, And as it does, it's this softening and gathering and alchemical change that starts to happen through the energetic process of samadhi. So it's not just about trying to get rid of thinking and focusing the mind in the particular way that we might have thought about, although that can be an approach, but it's about allowing the mind to settle within the slower rhythms of the body. And that takes time, it takes time. And to recognize, even if the mind is busy, that there's a background, a larger awareness that just can hold it all. And it's that, that's why the Buddha said, you know, samadhi, the cultivation of samadhi, is important to, to develop the capacity to withstand the impingements of the sensory experience. So it's not actually going to a place of fragility, although we might feel vulnerable in the process, but it's going to a place of great strength. You know, the heart, mind, body, when it starts to unify and become connected and grounded in the pure awareness of the mind, then it can withstand the impingements of the world, the craziness and the slings and you know, and arrows of um, outrageous fortune. <laughs> I'm sure everyone's had a bit of that—the arrows and uh, pains that come in our life, <coughs> personally and collectively—and to know this doesn't defeat us, because often we can receive that and think, "This is, you know," so gets overwhelmed and activated in these deep patterns of defeat and. Collapse. You know, in this moment it's a feeling. It's not to deny the, the enormity sometimes of what we can feel and what's happening and what we see. It is very enormous, actually. But in this moment, meditatively, you know, as the, as the Buddha said, this is a feeling. It's just a feeling. In the feeling, it's just this much. It's unpleasant. And he said the feelings are like winds that just pass through the body. They're like guests that come to a house. Essentially, they're sort of empty of real cohesive solidity. They're impactful, but they're like winds moving through. We all say, why do I feel this? What's wrong with me? What did I do? And some feelings we just don't know who knows maybe it's what's happening in the world maybe it's epigenetics what your ancestors felt maybe it's my psychodynamic wounds maybe it's what I ate you know and it can be a combination of those things it can be one of those things it's very interesting to know why we feel what we feel but we don't always have to know we can't always know but as a meditator we can just know in the moment this moment it's just that much so rather than being collapsed or overwhelmed that, that samadhi, that gatheredness of attention just to that moment can withstand, can explore, can breathe, can relax, can, can bring about a whole different way of responding. So therefore not generating further stress, further suffering for the self or others. Or as Ajahn Chah would say, let your mind be like a close closely woven net and catch what is felt your emotions what you think and examine them before you react examine explore be with <clears throat> that will save us a lot of suffering <laughs> you know without samadhi without that strength of being a having the capacity to withhold and capture and contain sometimes what we felt, then we can't do it. We either distract or we project or we act out, and then, suffering. But to be able to contain, that's the work of samadhi, to know we can take our attention to something more neutral, breath, sensations in the palms of the hands, space of awareness, we can contain, we can know this will pass, you just breathe, breathe until there's some sense of connecting, grounding, gathering, sanity, core sanity, not being spun out in a reactive process. And then allowing some more... A, a response then can come from that wisdom, a different place in our being. This is the moment to wait. This is the moment to let go. This is the moment to respond, and we don't always get it right because, you know, it's that starting again, you know, always starting again We, you know, sometimes it really is right sometimes it's a mess and that's, that's how, that's we're human so we don't know it all, we start again but that ability to recognize the path of awakening, these small moments of returning to this breath, this moment, this sensation, this feeling, as a practice, as a habit, as a place to go, rather than looking, where should I put my mind, go here. How is it now? What do I feel? Take a deeper breath. It's very miraculous, very transformative, and very profound. So I just leave those uh, thoughts around that particular part of the um, path of awakening, Sati, Samadhi, the eighth factor of the um, eightfold path, and so on. uh, If you have any uh, comments or questions or anything you'd like to share, please feel free. We have about ten minutes before we finish our evening together. What is the difference between um, like deep, deep Samadhi, deep mm. concentration, and um, full enlightenment? Oh, well, I don't really know, because I can't profess to be fully enlightened. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, What I've read. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, it seems to me that the beings that are more awakened. Then um, I don't know if there's any fully awakened beings. I don't know, but that their minds aren't really out of samadhi. You know, we're we're often very dispersed. It's a bit like you know, one. It's just an image. It's not a very good metaphor, but say uh, the mind is often you whatever touches the mind, whatever sensory input or whatever thought or whatever patterning, Sankhara patterning, it's a bit like it floods the mind, so it's to say, say for analogy, the mind is just, you know, neutral and then this colour, it just floods it, you know, anger or irritation goes red or if there's, you know, we get very frozen in our patterns and hateful, you can go, you know, so it just gets completely coloured if there's no samadhi, no investigation when the awakening is more stabilized you know and, and as the hindrances drop away the final hindrances to drop away are subtle ignorance subtle restlessness sense of self then it's more the mind is more like a stable you know so something touches maybe it's, there's maybe there's a little wobble like you know something touching honey so you know but it doesn't infect the whole mind the mind is rooted in, its, in reality in its own reality, in its deep reality of con- as conscious consciousness. You know, the amata dharma, the undying dharma. And that consciousness is the... Um, has direct connection with depth of wisdom, prajna, so prajnal panya, which is a deep, deep intelligence of reality, and that's operating through the conduit of the enlightened form. You know, the form, you know, the form isn't just the body, Sure. But that, you know, I think of Ajahn Chah, who I, I think was someone that I met that seemed to be pretty awakened and um, very, very present, that that way that he would manifest was very fluid and very lucid and very, very responsive um, and we would manifest with humour, with fierceness um, with insight, with you know, so it was like he didn't wasn't like one way of being. It would be very multidimensional in how he would respond, and he he was very fluid in meeting different cultures and different. It was like he wasn't he saw ben, beyond the package, right. and would be able to directly meet the heart. So he would go straight to the heart. And then I I, I remember Master Shunwa, who's another being that. And met who was, was actually up here in the city of 10,000 Buddhas but and I was just talking to one of his disciples recently about Master Shinhua and he said his mind was like the universe. It was like this huge space you know and then you'd go up to ask him something and it was like he'd kind of go like he was just like really, he said it was like just reading he's just like reading this karmic flow. And, and it was almost like he'd go. Are you worried about that? Why are you caught up in that? You know. And you suddenly see. You know. And that's what it's like to be in front of a more awakened being. Is that you see yourself? It's like you look in a mirror and you see. But it's not without with judgment. it's A lot of compassion and humour. Like Ajahn Chah would really. Make you laugh at yourself. You, know, you say, oh, "I'm really, really caught in all this stuff." And, right. You know, in their presence, that all drops away, and there's a, a sense of ease and relaxation and joy. So, you know, so that 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 feeling of um, unshakability. You know, that's how the Buddha described enlightenment as the unshakable deliber- liberation of the heart. There's, there's not wobbling. The, the Buddha talked about how humans, you know, delight in what he called papancha, the proliferations of the mind mm. and, the, and Buddha's delight in the ending of that mm-hmm. you know, Buddhas never waver There's another way to talk, Buddhas never waver or this is peaceful this is peace, so we have tastes of that but it's not stabilised right. so in awakening it's, it's, it's completely unshakable so meanwhile we wobble on <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, thanks is a great question.
1: I'm just trying to, for myself, trying to figure out how to hold it. And one of the things you just said was, when you have a collected mind, when there is this uh, synergy, this alignment of, of mind-heart-body um, in, in a concentrated way that you can withstand the impingements of the world, is that um, kind of a, a, like a recipe for how to hold, you know, whether it's political, social, ecological, um, all the conditions that are out there. Is that is that just part of a recipe? I'd right, say so it's really part, involved? part, it's
0: not the whole recipe, because we can hold it in different ways. Um, I mean, definitely, I think your description of the impact of heart-breaking, soul and and body-breaking, actually, it's really horrific. Um, I think that um, the samadhi can offer a lot of steadiness, a lot of refuge, a lot of coming back, a lot of what you do when you're freaking out, oh, I know what to do, I can bring my attention here, to the breath, to sensation, Can not fear what's being felt. But there's also inquiry, investigation. But that inquiry, and investigation, when there's some samadhi in the mind, is able to cut through the suffering. So at least you're not personally suffering from the suffering. Mm-hmm. You're not avoiding the suffering, but you're not making yourself suffer. And that's what's happening, I think, for a lot, is that the overwhelm, it's like, because there's a massive amount of displaced projection going on, of, of this um, toxic energy, It's going into people's bodies almost, Mm -hmm. it's in the whole atmosphere. It's like, like you don't have to suffer from that, you can feel it, but that extra suffering that we have from the clinging in version of the mind. So the Somali really helps with that, and then the investigation to keep emptying it. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, the challenge of all of this is taking us to some very interesting places collectively and personally because you know you know it's taking us to wait it's making us wake up but then what does that really mean in terms of how do we maintain well-being and sanity yeah I
1: mean is waking up just being able to hold it
0: yeah maybe
1: um, or is it you know there is of course other steps of action and yeah you know sometimes what happens in the body and in the mind is it can feel like um Energy that needs to
0: yeah come out
1: come out yeah, actually yeah, um, all of that. Yeah. One of the other things you said is that conscious awareness, mm-hmm. and I didn't get this down exactly, but I I'm going to paraphrase a little bit is where you sit. It, the conscious awareness is not wounded.
0: Yeah. It's the unwounded. It's the unconditioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the unobstructed. And that we don't remember that we don't we you know the condition I mean the, the everything but can be wounded you know everything is wounded but that which knows the knowing is not the wound that can know the wound is not the wound okay. mm-hmm. you know so the knowing and, you know and in, in this labadatta says an interesting thing the knowing and the what's known and the knowing arise together but that which knows it does not know is free. So we don't have to even know something. The knowing, in its in its pure essence, is the unknown. It's the deep mystery, you know. And that is our deepest refuge: is to be tolerate the unknown and to be able to. It's a place of great relief, you know. But that which, but then, but then, even at the point of knowing this condition, the knowing remains, and the conditions moves. So, Master Wa would say. Um, let the state turn rather than be turned by the state mm-hmm. so let the conditions turn but rather than be turned by the conditions mm-hmm. but just what's happening now is the conditionings are more intense yeah. you know um, globally mm-hmm. and so that's why you know, it's, it's, and there's less escape and it feels
1: like there's more penetration yes and I don't know if it is from um my own mind, my and part of it is my curiosity, and almost like um, looking at a, a car accident, you can't take your eyes yes. away from it. So I'm drawn to it in a way that almost takes me off guard and doesn't, I don't allow myself the time to get collected.
0: I think there has to be some sort of... Um Self-survival, discipline in that as well as about how much one you know there is a there is a skill about like closing the door and going into to cultivate Somali. There's a practice of protecting yourself. So if you're always on the front lines in that reactive state, it's going to burn us out. This is a long journey. It has been you know I know for some communities and like people of colors and marginal communities and people that have been oppressed. People's Lifetimes, li- lifetime. So. To, to pace ourselves and you know I, I don't see that what's happening in America is going to snap back to some idealized state this is a deep deep journey into the, into the shadow it's necessary in some ways and very very violent and painful but I, you know I do feel that the more conscious awareness that we can hold and the more that we can actually go through consciously the process like that earthworm it's possibly the best offering we can make, and it doesn't abdicate us, as you say, from taking that energy and engaging mm-hmm. and uh, using this strength, the voice, um, speaking out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we came to the magic hour. We go to pumpkins. <laughs> so, just uh, for a moment to um, close the meeting, sharing our, our blessings. <coughs> So thank you uh, for all of us to be here tonight. Um, we can contemplate the Dharma together and talk about these themes. May we recognize our common humanity in that, our common struggle, our common aspiration, and share any blessings, any good energy, prayerful way out into the city and the country and beyond the intention and the hope and the wish that all beings may be touched by peace be awakened and free from suffering